Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the Stone Soup Podcast, where we talk to interesting people about interesting things. My name is James Reed. Today, I'm taking over for Cody Sullivan, and our guest is Dr. Steffi Deem. Steffi is an assistant professor of engineering physics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the lead scientist of the Pegasus 3 fusion experiment, which will one day change the world and usher in the Jetsons-like future that we were promised as children. And together, Steffi and I are two-thirds of the team behind the Science Night podcast, so if you want to learn more about any of the words I just said, head on over to SciNight.com. Got to plug that website. Steffi, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Me too, because guess what, dear listener? Steffi and I talk about science all the time. Sometimes I even understand it. And I realized that we never really talk about your secret life, your secret alter ego in the world of dog agility training. So this episode is dedicated to the world of dog agility training. And I guess my first question as master interviewer is, what is dog agility training? Great question, James. So dog agility, uh, you may have seen this on television. It's basically, there's an obstacle course consisting of a variety of different things from jumps to weave pulls where dogs have to do a slalom to um, obstacles like an A-frame where they just kind of run up and down a, a triangle-like structure and go through tunnels. And there's a specific set out course and you have to run it accurately and for time. So I've watched probably far too many videos of dog agility trainers and training in advance of this episode. Is there a set path that one must follow or is it as much as chaotic as it seems to be? It's chaos. I'm just going to throw that yeah. out there. Uh, but it's a fun kind of chaos. So all dogs, like people, are all unique, right? They all have things that they're really good at. Some things don't come naturally. And really a lot of dog training. So while you see dogs running over the obstacles and going through tunnels and things like that, a lot of it is developing this partnership between you and your dog uh, so you can work together as a team to navigate this space. And then along with that is understanding what kind of motivates your dog and what kind of drives them um, behavior too. So tuning into what makes them go. So just like in everything, we need to manage our relationships and establish that connection that will take us forward in, in our chosen field. Exactly. Yes. So I got to ask you, you know, you're kind of a busy person between like that whole science thing and the more prestigious and glamorous position of science communication podcaster. Uh, how did you get into dog agility training? When I was in grad school, all I did was study and do research like 24 seven. And then when it came time to graduate, my parents are like, we would like to buy you a graduation present. What would you, what, what do you want? And I said, a puppy. Um, I had never had a dog before, but I'm like, this sounds like fun. I'll have free time now that I'm not studying all the time. I would love a puppy. Um, so they, they got me a puppy. That's Starbuck. She was my first, she's my first dog. Starbuck had a lot of energy as a puppy. So I'm like, well, how can I entertain this dog and also shut off my mind from wanting to work all the time and think about science? And that's when I saw dog agility on TV. 
Um, and I'm like, that looks like fun. That's totally different from what I do right now. I'm going to try it. So I found a local trainer. And so I started working with them. And it was so much fun that I just kept going. I love that story, but I do I do have to push back. This is a hard-hitting interview. This isn't like those okay. pieces we do over at Science Night. Give it to me. Now, I I know that you do engineering and you do physics and a lot about a lot of that is optimization. And it seems like dog agility training is a lot about optimization. So, are you really turning that part of your brain off or are you just doing a reskin? Nope, I'm totally just switching gears, right? So instead of optimization and <laughs> engineering for science, I'm doing it with my dog. <laughs> and it's pretty fun. So like we can run codes, right, to, to predict what our science experiments are going to do. And sometimes they're, the codes are wildly different, but then we can kind of change the experimental conditions and understand that. I, I can't do that with a dog, right? Mm. That's why I like that relationship building. It's a living being. So there's this mutual respect between the two of you and this unpredictability. Like I will, <laughs> I have been on course, my dog who has been running agility for six plus years perfectly. And she has just stopped out of the middle of nowhere because she saw something out of the corner of her eye and ran <laughs> to, to go check it out. And it's like those kind of moments that you're like, oh, this is amazing. We're together here, and and sometimes things just just happen, and you just got to embrace it and go with it. I guess over at the Pegasus Lab, you don't have to control for squirrels or anything like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you got into dog agility training because you have a rambunctious puppy and a need to find something other than the saving of humanity through fusion energy. And then you, then, then there's like this, this, uh, oh, and I'm going to become competitive at this. Yeah. Uh, how did, how did the competition aspect come into play? I like to use competitions to tell me how well I'm training. So sometimes I'm training by myself often and you'll kind of default to things that you know you can do really well, certain patterns that you're sending the dog through a course. I just like them. But when you go to competitions, the judges throw something at you that you haven't done before, and it tells you where you have a hole in your training. So I kind of like that. Not going to lie, sometimes it's fun getting a little trophy and a ribbon <laughs> and like $20 because you won the steeplechase. So There you go. There you yeah. go. That's true. And I guess you don't really have to worry about like funding drying up or anything like that. As long as you uh, as long as you can show up with a dog, yeah. you're at least going to be able to make the run. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am very interested in dog agility training, but I don't know that much about it. Are there certain dogs that are excluded from this? Are there certain dogs that excel at this? I know there are lots of dog breeds. And now I'm getting to the bottom of the barrel where I could talk about this with any kind of of flow. Okay. So any really any dog, as long as it's in good health and doesn't have any, you know, like humans, if you're not injured and you can physically navigate the course safely, dogs can do it. There are certain breeds that you'll see that oftentimes run a lot in agility, and those tend to be herding breeds. 
They like to work a lot. So I, you'll see a lot of border collies, super smart dogs, really fast, um, really in tuned to movement. So handlers can just give them a little like flick of their wrist or something like that. And they'll respond to that really well. I like smaller dogs. Um, just, just what I do. I like smaller dogs. <laughs> so um, I have Shetland sheep dogs. So they're a small herding breed. They love to work. They're tricky to train, but they love to do it. I've also, my other dogs that I first started out in agility, they are Nordic breeds. So they're called Alaskan Klikai. They look like a husky, but they're the size of a house cat. Like huskies, they're trained to run away from the sound of your voice. Um, <laughs> because they're, you know, for mushing and things like that. So it can be tricky to get them to actually listen because it has to be something that they want to do, right? You know, and that's the other thing I was kind of struck by. This is a lot of running around for the dog, obviously. The dog is the one that is is actually running the course. Yeah. But there's a lot of running for the trainer, too. Um, yeah. Does the breed and kind of sensibility of the dog kind of determine how active the trainer has to be in running at a full sprint and then turning? <laughs> Sometimes, yes. All my dogs, I first start, you, you see them doing the obstacle course and you're like, surely you must start teaching them how to jump. Um, actually, I teach my puppies to chase me. They first have to learn to love to run with me. I love running with them and they want to chase me and play. So that's what we do. A lot of it. A lot of it. The Klikai, they weren't really into agility. So I had to do a lot more tricks with them. <laughs> they were very food motivated. So I actually have a little kind of robot. I call it a treat robot. Um, <laughs> a treat and train has food in there, treats, and you put it along the obstacle course. And I would train them to race me to the treats. So they kind of learn naturally to run with me and how much fun it can be. So that was a whole different aspect of how to train an Nordic breed versus a, a herding oh, okay. breed. A lot of work. And so I, no I also noticed that the herding breeds I run with get very excited. Apparently I have a very exciting voice and it can make them so excited, the sound of my voice, that they just run around and bark at me. So I actually, yeah, so I actually have to, when I'm running my Shetland sheepdogs, be the most calm person in the world while I'm running. I have to have like a monotone voice. It can't be too high. Can't move my arms too much. Otherwise, they will just go way off course. Um, compared to my Alaskan Klikai, I have to be super exciting and super pumped up. And very exaggerated with my running. And, it, and I've actually done this demo for classes where I run my Klikai, like I run my Shelties, and they'll just walk the course. And then I'll change how I interact with them and amp them up. And then they can go super fast. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. You know, that's really interesting. Obviously, all dogs are different, just, just uh, different personalities, different uh, things that get them amped up. But the fact that you're able to kind of play into that and make the results that you want come out is pretty incredible. Uh, so let's talk about... Oh, and, and I guess the other thing that we should kind of talk about, too, is, um, you know, before I ever met you, I 
really the only thing I knew about dog training was what you see after you eat too much Thanksgiving Day food and you watch like the American Kettle Club's dog show, which is very different from what you do. And in that you see a lot of breeders who are kind of brought in professionally to show the dogs, but they don't really have like a ton of interaction. And uh, you you live with your dogs, correct? Yes. Yep. Is that the norm in dog agility training or is it kind of like anything else where you have professional trainers that just train the dogs and then they go and live elsewhere or is there they're more of like these are family pets? I would say that for agility, you're mostly going to have family pets, even for the people that compete at the top of their field. And that's all they do is they'll train and compete in dog agility. Um, Because I mentioned you have to have this bond with them. There are some people, which I've done this at shows, where I'm like, you know what, do you, hey, my dog really likes you. Do you want to try running with it? Um, It's just kind of fun to run with other people's dogs um, sometimes. And then you do have some professional handlers that will run other people's dogs sometimes. I mean, people get injured too. So, So when you're out and injured and the dog still wants to play, we can have other people run our dogs too, but not, it's not the norm to have professional handlers. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I, I get the sense that this entire sport was created by a bunch of people with overactive dogs that just didn't want them to jump on the couch in the afternoon. <laughs> that or um, people that are from horse, like eventing, oh, that okay. wanted a cheaper route. So yeah. <laughs> You get you actually get a lot of some people that came from horse, from the horse field or from the horse life um, and now run dogs and agility because we do have similar competitions. There's the steeplechase that's Mm -hmm. for for show jumping for horses. Um, We have a steeplechase for dog agility as well, where you're just running as fast as you can. Fastest dog wins. So let's get into the actual competition, because I'm looking right now at the IFCS, which uh, is, I guess, the governing body. I I can't find what the acronym stands. What does IFCS mean? Oh, gosh. They don't really say it anywhere. International Federation of Sinological Sports. Um, Okay. There's actually a few international dog agility um, competitions or organizations. There's IFCS... There's FCI, there's WAO. I just threw out a bunch of acronyms. To be honest, I don't know all of them. Yeah, in the dog agility training world, there doesn't seem to be a lot of effort to um, define their acronyms. So maybe that's something that they can pull from science communication. There you go. In their efforts going forward. Um, But I see a lot of pretty wild-sounding categories. So I want to talk about some of the ones that jump out the the most. You know, we talked about, like, steeplechase, and there's stuff like relays and jumping, and that all seems pretty standard to me. But then there's this thing called snooker. And can you explain, is that that dog billiards? What are we talking about here? It was taken from the billiards game, actually. So snooker, and I've never played the billiards version, so, but snooker, essentially what you do is you have a variety of obstacles on the course. There's numbered, there's seven obstacles that are actually numbered, a sequence one through seven. And then you'll have three to four jumps that are called your red jumps, which are only one point. Okay, I hope you're following me because there's 
it's confusing while you run it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. Okay. So seven obstacles numbered in sequential order, and then four red jumps, we'll call them, spread throughout. Um, in the opening sequence, you take one red jump, then you take a numbered obstacle, then you take a different red jump, then you take a, a numbered obstacle, then you take a third red jump that's different again, <laughs> take another obstacle, then you start your closing sequence, which is that number one through seven. Um, so did you follow me while I described it? So in the very little knowledge I have of the billiards game snooker, it seems yeah. like this has to do with the like balls that you must hit yes. and then the things that you must bounce off of. Yes. So you're just... The theory is that you're bouncing back and forth between yes. different things. Okay. Yeah. So it was confusing while I explained it. Try running it with a dog. <laughs> and then something goes wrong on course. So let's say I knocked the bar on the first red jump. I didn't actually complete it. So I got to go find another red jump, which could be all the way across the ring. And then you got to remember what you were supposed to do next. So it's it's a great memory game and thinking on your feet. Um, yeah. So are there a finite amount of red jumps or are these yes. like a, a non-renewable resource on the course? It is definitely a non-renewable resource. So I have gotten a zero in snooker because my dog, Anara screamed at me on the start line, ran through a jump to knock the bar and then ran into a tunnel. Because she's just, I mean, dogs are unpredictable. She was just mm -hmm. having a good time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, my favorite time to run snooker, and this kind of goes back to how some breeds, like the northern breeds, can just do unpredictable things. This has been, she had been competing for like eight years, very well-trained dog. She made it to the national, the U.S. national team. So we were actually competing in Spain at this point in our snooker run. She did a red jump, she did a tunnel, then she was supposed to do another red jump, but then she saw someone on the course, like a bar setter, someone who resets the bars, who she thought was my husband, and she ran to them, and then I had to try and call her back to me without taking anything else, because um, I would have stopped the snooker game, mm -hmm. um, but because she's unpredictable sometimes, I was prepared for that moment in time. I love it. I love it. This yep. is where your this is where your scientific training comes in because you have to you have to always be prepared for chaos at all times. Yeah. Yeah. So snooker sounds amazing and we're going to give you just a few seconds to think about that in your head while we go to a quick commercial break. What is it? Who does it? Why does it matter? The Science Night podcast answers these questions by giving scientists a place to tell their story. We also highlight science news and discoveries that will have you asking, My God, what have I done? What weird thing are we going to talk about this week that involves a frog? They made an organic robot? Like... Didn't they see the Matrix? Join us every other Friday, wherever you get podcasts. 
and at Sinite.com. back with Steffi Deem. We're talking more about dog agility events. Events. I would assume they're called events, right? Yeah. Um, Competitions. Categories. Varietals. Yep. There's different categories. Varietals. So we just talked about dog snooker, which sounds great. And I'm assuming is is, uh, a hilarious thing to watch over an entire uh, competition. It is. Yeah, yeah, it so is. So I want to I, I want to talk about a couple more while we have you here that just jump off the page of I need to know more about this. What is gamblers? I'm assuming that this is like a smoky room, a bunch of money just flying around, and something illicit happening. Basically, that's okay. basically what it is. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, so it's one of these games. We call these ones that are non-standard um, games. Uh, and so for this game, again, we have a whole bunch of obstacles out on the, f- on the field. And instead of, you know, all of them being numbered, um, there's only sometimes three that are numbered and they're typically behind a line. Um, so you have an opening sequence of the gamblers where you just run around and take as many jumps as you can. And they tell you how much time you have. So this comes into like some of the strategy is we learn to be able to estimate how many, how much time it takes our dog to complete very specific obstacles. So that's the fun part when you're strategizing for this um, ahead of time. Take as many as you can, run up the points, and then you'll hear a buzzer sound. So you have to be good at time management when you don't have access to a clock um you hear a buzzer sound and then you can start the closing sequence which is the joker of the gambler (laughs) the gamble (laughs) or the gamble we call it um and it's usually you're 20 feet away from all the obstacles and you have to send your dog away from you to do those four obstacles and then they have to cross the finish jump before the second buzzer rings or you lose all your points this seems incredibly complicated yeah it's fun yeah yeah so i i'm guessing like how much how much is how much of this is skill and like so we talked about we're talking with about dogs who are just kind of unpredictable at the start how much of this is skill and how much is this is luck that my dog is going to actually be able to do this in these very strict uh, time time frames and and constructed uh, parameters. Yeah. So I I great question. I think this kind of goes back to how I tend to sometimes view competitions. It's a great feedback for my training. So especially for these gamblers for distance skills where you're sending your dog away from you, um, it's kind of really good instant feedback if you've done your training for it and if your dog mm. can do it. Yeah. Sometimes it is luck because I didn't train the skill and good thing that didn't show up in the gamble. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's super but, interesting. But it's fun because you do have to, there's not much time 
window to do that distance. Um, so you really have to map out your route in the opening sequence to make sure you're ending at the right point you need at the right place on the, along the course where you need to end to like send them in to the closing sequence. This is all so far beyond what I've ever been able to do with a dog that it seems like magic to me. I mean, <laughs> what I'm finding out is that you are better than me at almost anything. Uh, oh, no. When we talk about science, I'm like, yeah, those are words, I'm sure. And we're talking about dogs. I'm like, I I couldn't get my dog to, like, just go outside regularly to to release its its it's uh, fluids and everything and a little alone like run away from me and do things in an order but also in the time frame and, and end at the appropriate spot this it's like what they say when science becomes so far advanced that it is indecipherable from magic this is where we're at with dog training right here I mean it looks like magic but I didn't do this by myself I worked with some amazing trainers um, my favorite is Loretta Moeller um and you can work with them online, too, because really, if you don't have a trainer locally, it's kind of you may think it's impossible to do dog agility. Um, there's great online classes. I'm actually in one of Loretta Moeller's classes right now where I have homework. I, I have homework right now. That's due um, where you <laughs> videotape your your dog at home doing exercises and they give great insight and feedback. Um, on how to improve and how to, they just know dog behavior so much better than me. So I couldn't do it without working with other people who are really experts in this field. Now you referred to her as a coach, but could we start right now referring to them as dog whisperers? Is that something that we can, we can change the uh, moniker for? And, um, I mean, Anara would say that Anara yeah. loves her. So does Danger Boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait. Hold. So if you haven't, if you haven't noticed, there's a sci-fi theme going with, with the naming conventions and I just caught is, is Anara the Firefly? Is that the yes. Firefly? Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. So I'm assuming, uh, assuming the next female dog will be Kaylee and then we'll move on to, to, uh, whatever you got next. I don't know. I switched from like using character names to just going for inanimate objects in sci-fi. So mm, mm, <laughs> hence sure. the battle star and danger boat. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so if, if I, I didn't get the danger boat reference the first time I talked to Steffi and she looked at me so dejected with my nerd credentials. So that is, that is a tick reference. Yeah. Uh, if, if you didn't catch up on that, uh, she had to tell me that that's not me knowing that. So, so there's that. I think um, very few people get that reference, so that's okay. Well, you, it didn't seem like you were okay with it when I didn't get it the first time, but that's, that's ancient history. Uh, <laughs> Is it so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so let's let's talk about the last event that I want some more information on. And maybe this is just because the Winter Olympics has just finished, but we have a biathlon version for dogs. I'm assuming this involves a whole lot less uh, skiing and shooting than the biathlon that I'm more familiar with. So, uh, so tell me what the very mundane dog agility biathlon competition is. Yeah, definitely less shooting and everything involved with that. So biathlon, it's two events. And it's going to be what we call a standard course. Standard has 
contact obstacles where the dog has to run their feet along the whole obstacle. Um, it, usually it's like a long board, an A-frame or something like that. We call another one a dog walk So and weave pulls. That's the standard event. And then there's a jumping event, which includes just jumps, tunnels, and the weave pulls. And so you take the combined score of those two events, and then that's how it's scored overall. There's also a pentathlon as well. Got with it. Five. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Now, is there is there any thought that maybe you bring a shooting portion into the dog biathlon, uh, where the dog, not not the trainer, but the dog would be shooting? I think it treats like a treat okay. cannon. Can yeah. we bring that in? Oh, I we did it right there. Uh, yeah. IFCS just uh, cut the check to uh, at Science Night, and uh, we'll we'll turn that into another merch treat hall. cannon. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's also oh, you hinted about this a relay event, right? right? So this the you actually have to run with a baton. So there's there's multiple dogs on the team and it's like one team, which is one dog, one human runs part of the course and the human is holding a baton. And as you cross the finish line of your portion of the course, you hand the baton to the other the next handler and then they go and run. Um I have fallen during a course with baton, and if you drop the baton, you get point deductions, right? So I was, like, holding on to dear life for this baton, and Inara jumped the baton and a jump, and she didn't even go off course. She kept going. That's how amazing Incredible. she is. Yeah. Incredible. So we're talking about these events and and how you compete, and I I don't want to bury the lead. Like you've competed internationally, uh, in in these things. You've created. You've you've done world championships. Uh, what is that like? Are you? Is it? Is it like an Olympic style thing where you're like representing your country? Is it Team USA or is it yeah. just yeah yeah yeah? It was Team USA. So I've only been on one world team. Um, we went to Spain, but you have to try out for the team. So um, you have to come to the tryout events, and then the top dogs get a spot on the team. Um, it's partially sponsored by the organization in the U.S. Um, it was surreal and amazing. Oh, we had a team coach. Um, she did a great job. We had team practice. We had uniforms. The dogs had uniforms. They had, like, special Team USA harnesses made by Brilliant Canine Harness, which I love. So it had her name on it and Team USA. Um, and she had a, a leash to go with that, too. So there's an opening ceremony where all the countries come in with their flags um, to start the competition. And it's just so much fun being at one event, meeting people who love working, like, love spending time with their dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and seeing them keep compete from around the world. And we also had a masseuse we brought with for our dogs. I know. Oh, for the uh, dogs, for the dogs, not the humans, no, <laughs> the dogs. Um, so my dog, she got a, a massage before and after every time she ran. It was amazing. That's She's amazing. like pampered. Yeah. And then every time she finished a course, like the coach would be there with her snacks and she, she got, we let her pick her favorite snacks. It was steak and strawberries. Oh, that's amazing. Just yeah. waiting for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
there's an international federation for this. It is a internationally recognized sport. There's a world championship, and maybe you can see where I'm building to. There's all these things that the IOC requires for you to be like part of the Olympics. Is there any effort to have dog agility training included in an Olympic Games? There have been. I don't know what state they're at, but there have been like local test cases too, where they'll have people um, kind of demonstrate to the organization how competitive dog agility is, how much skill it takes, not just for the human part of the team, but also the dog part of the team as well. Um, so that's kind of always been in the back burner. Whether it will actually happen, I don't know, but it is fun in the meantime to have these other, you know, separate organizations that mm -hmm. kind of govern these world championships. Yeah. I mean, let me talk directly to the IOC right now. Guys, you you need a win. Let's not <laughs> let's not like beat around the bush here. You you need a win. It's not going great yeah. for you. Add dog agility training to the next Olympics. You can do it. You can say, "Oh, the they're set. This is all fake. Just do it. Just put it in, and yeah. it will be incredible. And we can have Inara or Danger Boat or whoever you're running at that time be the flag bearer. That is what I'm also advocating for. Um, so, however, we need to get that done, we can get it done. But I think I want to end with uh, you know, you said you started this because you had an active dog. And, you know, we've talked about where you've gone in the sport. But if somebody just wants to get into dog agility training so they can have fun with their dog, what is the best way to do that? Great question. I think most people uh, don't compete that much to begin with. They're just there having fun with their dogs. It's like another class you can take. Typically, a lot of the local clubs um, around your area, if you do a Google search, um, you can find them. I take online classes either through Agility U or Fenzy Dog Sport Academy. Um, both have been amazing. Um, and they oftentimes have people who have never trained a dog in agility before. And so the trainers are really great at having that insight that you can see even from a, a quick video. And they can give you great feedback. Perfect. Great, great advice to get started in this sport, which seems pretty fun. If I had a dog, maybe I'd get into it. Are you allowed to substitute like a six-year-old human uh, for a dog and have them run run uh, as the dog? I feel like um, they can be like the demo dog. Sometimes oh, we, we have go. like, they call like it the white, dog. the white dog. They call him the white dog that runs the course first to like test it out. Mm -hmm. We need six-year-olds for that. I, I, I will supply you with one today. Okay. Good. All right. Steffi, thank you so much for your time. How can everyone keep up with what you're doing, keep up with what your dogs are doing in the world of dog agility training and also that whole science thing? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Steffi Deem. There's like knitting, science, some dog agility or on Instagram at Starshipin. Um, that's where I post like little training videos of my dogs, quick pictures of them full of mud or snow, you know, doing all the things that they love to do, running, yeah. biting, biting me. Yeah, all the fun it's great. Stuff. You can watch dog agility happening, happening on the Instagram. It is one of my family's favorite <laughs> things to do. That is all the time we have for this episode of the Stone Soup Podcast. Thank you to Steffi Deem for joining us. 
we will be back when we have something else to throw into the pot. And until then, this is James Reed signing off.